We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm true. That's Roth. Happy New Year, Roth. Happy New Year to you, man. How are you doing? Anything anything new in your life, immunologically speaking? <laughs> yeah, we'll start. We we have a lot of sports to talk about, but first we'll we'll talk about what happened over the break. We 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 took uh, last week off because it was uh, the holiday break, and uh, I went home for Christmas. Roth went probably to Maine because that's where he yeah. goes, and mm-hmm. uh, and I got COVID uh, on the way back. We stayed in New York for three nights. And when we were in New York, Roth, we were staying in an Airbnb that like totally wasn't supposed to be an Airbnb. Like the one where like the host is like, okay, don't go by the front desk. If the front desk sees you, just say you're staying with Jessica, you know, and like. And <laughs> you were like, issued disguises when you yeah. came in there. You're like, if anyone yeah. asks, your name is Tristan Welliver? Yeah, like we got like we got there and like and like the lady was like, okay, meet me at the back entrance, and like we went through like the fucking like. The You're like, cool. Room. I'll bring my kids and my wife to the back entrance to meet you to get into your home. Like we go through like the laundry room and shit, like to go up to just like <laughs> just to like an apartment. Anyway, we the, we go. the Ray Liotta entrance from Goodfellas to get, yeah. to get to where you're gonna sleep. Nice, a thousand percent. So we go, and uh, I you know I was just in my parents' house. And it was very nice. We could see my dad and, and take care of him and stuff like that. And we, we, and my parents come into the city. Like my dad gets clearance to go into the city on the twenty seventh because it's his and my mom's sixtieth anniversary, right? So wow, geez. we all go out to dinner. So we go to we go to Joe's house of soup dumplings, very good. And it was my entire family, my sister's entire family, my brother, his wife, and his daughter. He's remarried, and then my mom and dad, and then. Also, my brother's wife, my brother's stepchildren. To I was gonna say, like that seems like a smallish group. You need to get some more fucking kids at that table. It was an enormous number of people. So we all, you know, we all go there. I eat way too much. I hate myself by the end of the meal. Uh, we go back. So to checks Air- out for Joe's soup dumplings so far. We go to the Airbnb, and then the next day, uh, there's a there's a exhibition of Basquiat and Warhol nearby our Airbnb. And only my daughter and I want to go because my wife is a snob who doesn't like modern art and the boys don't give a fuck. So I take my daughter and we're walking around this very, very lovely, uh, you know, museum and looking at, you know, incredible works of art, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm sitting there like, you know, I think I'm going to burf. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to barf. I don't. I don't feel good because because the work moved you so much. I know the answer to this question. I just wanted to ask that. So I I I say to my daughter because my daughter has a very serious case of emetophobia, which is a fear of of vomiting. Yeah, my wife has it as well. Can't even see it in a movie or TV show. Yeah, she like she just freaks out if she hears about someone in fucking Canada having the stomach virus. She has a nervous breakdown. So like she's gone to therapy. She has anxiety attacks. So I tell my daughter, I'm like, look, I have to go to the bathroom, and she's like, okay, all right. And I go down, and the first bathroom I get to is locked, and I'm like, that's not good. And then I get to the second one. There's another one. I'm like, oh, thank God. And it's a single. Like, oh, thank God, times two. And I kneel down by the bowl and I'm like, man, I, I wonder if I'm going to have to like, you know, put my fingers in my throat to make this happen. Nope, no need. Just instantly a oh, fucking fire hose blast. Super duper. Just, just gallons upon gallons. I haven't hurled that much since I had a stroke five years earlier and I don't have any memory of that. So, yeah. so I'm like, wow, it's just like old times. It's like a... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like I'm drinking again. And I, it feels like Colby Homecoming, 1998. Yeah. And you do the you do the thing where like 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 you kind of sniff the bowl like to make sure like you can <laughs> make sure you barf again so you get it all out. Like like, uh. like oh, I'm, let's make sure it's let make sure I'm I'm. I've gotten rid of all the nausea by by doing the most nauseous thing I can possibly do. So can and, I afford a little bit of perspective here, just briefly jumping in? Yeah. So Drew told this story in Slack as a sort of like, LOL, I barfed story, which is, again, one of the, the great joys of working with Drew, working at Defector. This sort of thing does happen sometimes. It does. I had also had COVID earlier in, the, I was late getting up to Maine. I was shocked. I mean, I was basically asymptomatic, but I waited until I tested negative and I went up. I knew that people that were getting this variant, which is rampant, because that's just the fucking stupid world that we live in, uh, because we didn't finish the job against the pandemic, that this was apparently one that, like, this is the symptom. Like, it fucks with your stomach really bad. Drew mentioned all of this, and I didn't want to be the guy, like, a day or two, or this was, like, right after Christmas, being like, you should take a COVID test. But, like, I really should have told you to take a you COVID test. You absolutely should have, because, Broth, I did not know that particular wrinkle of this new wave of the pandemic. So, I say to my daughter... Because my wife and my sons, they had gotten up and they had walked on the Brooklyn Bridge uh, over to Brooklyn, you know, as like the activity for the day. And my daughter was going to go join them on the subway. I was going to join her. And I was like, I was like, listen, girl, I, I just booted and you should probably get away from me. And she's like, okay, all right. That's, that's a good idea. So she goes to meet up with them and I start walking back to the Airbnb and I'm walking through the East Village and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do this again. And there's no... There's no bathroom this time. It's, it's the it's the walk of shame barf. Wow. And and I stop, and I'm I'm right outside of a church, and I fucking let fly right outside of a church in front of God and everyone, mm-hmm. and uh, and like I hear like people talking, and I'm like I hope they're not talking about me because they're talking in Spanish, and I'm like oh I, no. I hope they're not like you shouldn't do that there. <laughs> God will see you, and I'm like. Yeah. Did you hear them? Maybe they were like, I love the William Sonoma guide this year. Right. I thought it was so good. Right. You're the peppermint he was really, bark guy. He was really, that's the guy, like, he's the guy that hates the fancy espresso machines. Look at him now. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I wipe my, you know, I do the thing where you wipe your chin off like you just finished eating a lobster. And I, uh, <laughs> I go, and I go through the front door of the Airbnb. I'm like, whatever, front desk, you can do it. Like, Tristan Williver is here, bitches. I'm yeah, going upstairs. Yeah. So I go up. And then I go into the room and I and I sleep all that day. My wife and daughter, who were in that bedroom with me, because they were like a multiple beds, they they clear out, and that's like becomes the the quarantine zone. And I still know I have COVID. And the next day, I feel better. We drive home. My daughter makes me wear a mask in the car on the whole ride Good. home. Yeah. When we get home, I'm like, I'm better. I'm like, yeah, I feel I'm me again, baby, hundred percent, no longer questionable. I'm back in the game. And then I sit on the toilet the next day, and I'm on that toilet for like a fucking hour. Oh, and doing what? <laughs> I'm reading. I'm reading Moby Dick. <laughs> so great. He changes perspectives in a bunch of really interesting ways. Yeah, anyway, you learn so much, and uh, <laughs> and so like then I'm still feeling kind of shitty, and and my wife is eventually. This is like five days later after the first day. My wife was like, "You should probably take a COVID test." And I was like, Oop, "Sure, whatever." I've taken so many negative COVID tests, so. Uh, and all we have left, we don't have the good free Biden tests that are just like the little drops and stuff like we have the mm-hmm. we have the one that's like a lollipop. Like you get a little you get a little booklet yeah. and you put the swab in there and it's like I'm so fucking sick of those, dude. <laughs> like I've yeah. seen so many of those just in the last couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. 
So I, I take the I take the COVID test and I'm like, well, this isn't gonna say shit. And then I and then I get the double bars and I'm like, well, that can't be right. And then I'm like, fuck, I have COVID. My wife's like, fuck. And then I get sent downstairs. And that is where I have resided ever yeah. since. I truly I wish I could give you tips on the best practices for when you've been sent to the germ chamber. Cause I spent a week in the germ chamber over the summer. And uh, it kind of sucked. I like I sort of went insane, but it wasn't that bad. It's like just frustrating because like the thing that you realize when you can't interact with any of the other people that live in your home is that like if you're not interacting with the people that live in your home, like you're basically like in jail, <laughs> like you're just like stuck in a room doing you know whatever i mean like you have the computer you can like stream stuff or whatever but it sucks like the only way i actually enjoy any of that shit is if like my wife is there too ah well i i had better than you so a couple of things first of all we had just all been stuck in an airbnb together so we were all dying to get away from one another yeah especially my daughter my daughter was and i'm not not even because of the phobia she was just like she was she's been pissing and moaning at uh at my wife and i for like the past month about just boyfriend shit and stuff like that so we like we've just been it hasn't been that like we don't get along it's just she's been like moody and we've been moody back and blah 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 so she's like she was excited to get rid of me and i was excited to get get away from everybody else and downstairs is where we have the good tv and we have a guest room so i have a bed to sleep in and and i got quarantined right uh on new year's on new year's day i got quarantined right when the playoffs were happening so i got to watch the playoffs in full undisturbed it was lovely this was something i I, that didn't occur to me that the timing was auspicious like that i had so this is like a thing that authentically changed my life i was legitimately sick not faking sick one day in middle school on the first day of the ncaa tournament and it was before it was on like cable and on a million channels and it was just like Bob Costas throwing it from one game to the next all day long. And I remember I was like in my my parents' bed because they had like a TV in their bedroom and everybody's at work. And I was just at home sick watching basketball all day. And it was like another world was possible. Like yeah. I had no idea that you could live like that. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, the, I've been uh, chasing that ever since. It's the frat bro vasectomy strategy where you're like, bro, yep. get your vasectomy the Wednesday before March Madness. And then you can just watch every game. <laughs> With a pack of frozen peas no, on your balls. No, yeah, no one can tell you not to, dude. That's right. Like it's, it's like the, but yeah, that that is tough. And it's a good it's a good chance to to talk about what happened in the semifinals because before Wait, that, I want to just before we do this, everyone in your family's tested negative. You're good, right? Like everybody's all right. Not only are my wife and kids negative, everyone at that dinner is negative and symptom free. So I have no fucking idea. It's the same for me, dude. I tried to like sort of forensically, you know, go do my oafish, lazy version of the night the lights went out about like, how did I fucking get COVID at my wife's office party where nobody else did or whatever? And I still don't know what it was. I didn't give it to her. I didn't give it to her dad, which was, I mean, it was good. I was negative by the time I went up there, but I was hanging out with her. I met a writer friend for a drink. I went to the museum with uh, some friends, like all of this stuff, like I presumably was positive at that time and thankfully didn't give it to anybody. But it's like, God, I mean, this I mean, is the thing, I guess. You, like, you can't stop thinking about it. You just have to like be smart and be aware and keep tests around your house. It's just I'm resentful of that still. I'm very lucky and very happy I didn't make anybody else sick. But I'm, you know, I guess more ready to be done with this than I am actually done with it. 
I I have a bit of a different perspective where like I'm not all I'm I I find it more I don't want to do the LOL thing. I just find it more curious because I'm like I'm max boosted. I got all the vaxes you can Same for me, dude. That's probably why I barely felt it this time around. It's just like still a pain in the ass to have to deal with it. And uh and so and so I just want uh you know, I just want not I, I want to stop testing positive so that I can go back and live life. And, uh, but I also, I regard COVID now as just a thing. Like, you know how it's flu season sometimes? Like, you get the flu. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, like, that's COVID. That's what you get now. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky that as, like, healthy people that we can do that. But, yes, I absolutely agree that that's, like, sort of how it feels. Like, I, I think this is the thing is I had gone back to the way I felt when I was actually sick, like I was describing it as like December normal. It's like the version of like <laughs> kind of sick that you feel if you've like yep. gone to a bunch of holiday parties and you're taking the train in the wintertime and it's like people's kids are just coughing right in your face. Yeah, I mean, I'm a dad. I get a cough for like four months. Yeah, like, and like kids keep giving it back to you. Like it's like not the sort yep. of thing where you can ever move past it. But nope. anyway, so you were down there for the football games. Everybody's good. Everybody's healthy. Take care of yourself. Mask on mass transit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And your home. And the football games were a miracle. Distraction loves you. And and the football games were a miracle because every bowl game prior to that was awful because all the all the fun players like Jaden Daniels. What about the pinstripe bowl? Yeah. All. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that was actually that was a good one, but. The rest of them, every important player opted out. Like even guys like Sam Hartman of Notre Dame, like guys who were not definitely not going in the first round, they were like, "Well, I'm not gonna play in a shitty bowl game and fucking tear an ACL before I get drafted in the fourth or something like yeah. that." Like, like they were they're all they all opted out. Like a lot of them were horrific blowouts. Like the worst example was Florida State having like guys like Keon Coleman uh, opt out, and they got fucking annihilated by Georgia. It, by a score that like it was like 63 to three but like it wasn't even that close yeah they, like georgia had like 40 odd points at halftime like it was the sort of thing where even the people who only post about college football during college football games like had moved up like they were like watching michael mann's ferrari during the second half of that game. good movie i i, yeah, I had heard good things mixed opinions on it i i have mixed opinions on it but it has stuck with me but we're not here to talk about Michael Mann because we do that every week. Uh, we talk about <laughs> let's talk about the playoff games uh, because both of them were were fantastic. The first one was the Rose Bowl, and it was of course um, Michigan, uh, coached by head coach Connor Stallions. Uh, they were going against uh, Alabama, who snuck in after winning the SEC title game. And I was resigned to the fact I was like, "Well, Bama's in, and they're just going to win it because Bama always wins it, and it's going to be annoying and shitty and boring." But Michigan. They won it in overtime uh, on a Blake Corum run. And I keep trying to think of decorum puns to make every time I see Blake Corum on the you field. You got another I, game now. I have failed to make any of them. And uh, and then Bama uh, on fourth down, and they needed a touchdown to win. But center Seth McLaughlin fucked up the snap. And it was not the first time McLaughlin had fucked up a snap in that game or that season. It was like... It was like he was a tackle who had been plugged in as an emergency center and had never played the position before. Because, like, all of his snaps were like, it was like me snapping the football. Like, who knows there where it's going to go? Yeah, there were a bunch of, for. it's a weird game for this. I don't think anybody, there. I mean, you know, there's a lot of fetishes in this world. There were a lot of great hands plays by quarterbacks in that game. There was yeah. an incredible catch by J.J. McCarthy on a fucked up 
a flea flicker throw. That's right, yeah. That he then turned into a big completion, which was like, in its way, one of the most amazing football plays I've seen. It was like a balletic shortstop thing. Well, also and because Milbro, it, was a, it was a lateral. If he had not made that catch, it would yeah, have been a backwards pass. Ooh. Yep. And Milro made a lot of really great, like, weird reaction type things to, like, a snap that was coming in significantly lower and to the right than he expected and he would then like catch it and throw it yeah because that one that play was doa and the snap was at his ankles it was barely stood up it was and it was it was the kind of thing where you get to immediately uh go online and and say that play goes terrible Uh, yeah because it went so badly uh and i i find milro fascinating because i think he's just i think he's one of the most impressive athletes at quarterback i've ever seen but like he's He's not consistent. Sometimes he's inaccurate and stuff like that. And before the game, he had told the media that his former offensive coordinator the year prior, Bill O'Brien, who's now at the Patriots, uh, was like, said to him, said to his own quarterback, what if I tell you you suck and that you can't play quarterback? Like, said this to an extremely talented player. What level What level of Belichick mindset is that? It's, it's not even motivating a guy. It's just being yeah. like, I think you're bad. You should play safety. I it's, hate coaching you. It's real Fuck high off. school guidance counselor shit. It yes. Doesn't, I, don't, I don't understand it in the least. And I, I know Milrow has work to do. And, you know, he may never become the sort of talent where he's, you know, a number one overall pick or anything like that. But fuck me. <laughs> He, he can run, and he's got a fucking the, Yeah, cannon. the tools are loud as fuck. I mean, like, if he's in a situation where he should. This is what's tough about about Alabama too is that like it's not a quarterback factory like he has all of these incredible attributes but it's not a system that's designed to highlight his passing necessarily if the passing is even that good like they'll let him do this and then like maybe he'll turn into Jalen Hurts or maybe he'll turn into Greg McElroy you know well that's yet. just it they have minted they have minted solid professional quarterbacks now for the better part of this decade they got Hurts uh, you know, I know he transferred to Oklahoma, but he ended up being a great quarterback in the pros. They had Tua Tungavailoa. He's he's turning into a superstar. Uh, they had Mac Jones, who had a fantastic rookie season, has turned out to be a lemon, but still, you can say that that's circumstantial. Although Mac Jones, I, th- I think we can say Mac Jones sucks now. And they have Bryce Bryce Young, who was the first overall pick in the draft. And well, I guess we can get to David Tepper in a second, but. He's had a truly awful season, and that's another one where I can't tell whether, um, you know, Bryce Young, you know, did not deserve to be drafted where he was, particularly with C.J. Stroud being so good and being drafted number two, uh, or whether or not he is with an organization that is so utterly fucked that there's yeah. no way for him to prosper. But I'm anyway. always inclined to give the benefit of the doubt in that particular thing that like I respect a suck vortex like nothing else. Like there's only so much that can escape the vacuum of the Carolina Panthers. But yes, we will talk about their their delightful owner. I mean, we blogged well for Geo Media, you know. So it's yeah, like you never I guess know. but we but should, we were all we had all transferred there from a more functional We should get to the heart of the matter because Michigan um they had an incredibly impressive first half defensively. And then Bama seemed to solve that defense, uh, you know, through the second half, particularly the third quarter. And then Michigan got their shit together, like on the very last drive of regulation at the very last second. And Harbaugh didn't go for two, but that's another discussion we can have at some other time. And uh, and so now we have Michigan in the national title game against Washington. We'll talk about Washington in a second. But uh, we are looking very close to the season of Jim Harbaugh and Connor Stallion's validation. How do you feel about that, David Roth? I am excited about it. I mean, especially because this is, 
I have like my dad cares about Michigan football. He watches the games. I watch them sometimes. I don't always. I know they're good. Like we talked about it with Spencer before the season started. I've followed things. I know they haven't lost. There's still a part of me that anytime someone is like, this is the year, this is like Michigan's figured it out. I'm like, all right, sir, let's get you home. You know, like I'm not, (laughs) not because I don't think, I mean, it's some of it's my dad. I'm used to responding that way when he says things, but there is like, they've been getting better. Like this is like the best of the Harbaugh teams. And it has the sort of the, it has the hallmarks of the good Harbaugh teams that it has the, like, the defense is really, really, I mean, I believe it's like the number one ranked defense in college football, right? It's loaded. It's so fucking loaded. Full of talent. Like defensive line is amazing. There's a lot of really good players all over the place. It's still like, I keep waiting for them to have the experience that they've had in the past when they've made the playoff, which is that like you run into a team, like an SEC team that's got like 15 future NFL guys on it. And it's just, you see the difference. Yeah, that was and, always that was always what it was with Michigan, you know, basically for as long as I've been alive, where it was just like they were good, but it wasn't like, you know, they weren't the sort of destination that could get yeah. every kid in Texas, California, and Florida to come. Well, they also would get those, re- they would get quarterbacks that were like huge recruits, and then they would just stick them into this fucking like Lloyd Carr ass, That's like right. super conservative system. Yeah, it And sure in this would. case, it's like McCarthy is like a contemporary type of quarterback. I think he's pretty good. I don't think he's like, we'll talk about. Michael Penix, like you see the difference when you see a guy that's like definitely a no shit NFL quarterback. Like, yeah. JJ McCarthy oh is not that to me. Holy shit. But yeah, I mean, he looked awesome. He looked like fucking Michael Vick. But the, to me, the, the difference with this Michigan team is that it's like all those little isolated islands of offensive talent that they used to have. Cause they've always had NFL running backs, always had NFL tight ends. And they've had like guys around offensive linemen. Like they're all there. They've been able to recruit them. I can like sort of see this offense winning a national championship and it's not because I think it's that good. It's like it's a, enough better and the defense is enough better and everything else is kind of like the broader spectrum of college football seems to have reset somewhat to their advantage. And so like I need to adjust my expectations. They didn't change. This is just like the peak of the Harbaugh way of doing things. Well, Perfect also, time for him to go coach the Chargers, by the it's way. It's an it's a well he might yeah, he might actually do that. Um I'm in an odd spot because I was an enormous Michigan fan uh, throughout the 90s, and they won the title in 1997. And I was like, I did it. <laughs> I win. I won college football. Yep. <laughs> and somehow my my fandom waned, it dissipated, and to the point where I really did not, like, I don't get fired up for Michigan games. And and I, I've been usually pretty agnostic watching them uh, in general when, when oh, I always root for them against Ohio State and still do because I don't like right. Ohio State. That's praxis. <clears throat> um but this season, like they're really good, and I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should yeah, become a full diehard Michigan fan again. But their fans make that awfully hard. This is so Don't funny. they, Roth? We had a great time with those guys this year. This is the thing I had discounted for when the team is good. It really brings the weirdos out, like the law professors that are like, I wrote a poem about uh Blake Corum yep. that I'd like to like and I'm submitting it to this law review and if they don't take it I'm going to write an article about cancel culture with myself as the main character of that story like they're just like the weirdest freaks and like the also like other I mean we had Ben Mathis Lillian talked about his book about Michigan football fandom it's a very enjoyable book 
and he was a fun guest. He's like a normal college football freak, like in the sense right. that like he's on a message board. He's insane for a few months out of the year, but it's like you can talk to him about other stuff. The real like the quarter zip fleece, like the real like the hardcores from Michigan have proven themselves to be so much more insane this year. Not even talking about Connor Stallions. I'm talking about like the sort of the secular guys in the outer orbit of it are so much crazier than I expected them to be that at this point, I want them to win just to see what those guys are going to do. Well, it's not fun crazy either. Like, it's like, it's haughty crazy. So it's like, it's got real, it's real Greg Easterbrook sort of energy, you know? And like, like there was a, there was an op-ed in the Times titled, I was transformed by the best cult ever, Michigan football. Like, okay, yeah, sure you were. Okay. Like, Like, and by the way, I went to Michigan for a semester and I've been in that stadium. Like, it's a quiet stadium. Like people, Michigan fans will tell you that that stadium is not anywhere near noisy enough for the biggest fucking stadium in college football. It's a know? huge stadium, but uh, yes. And we should, uh, I do want to talk about uh, the national championship game, but we, we have to take a break. So let's do that when we get back on the other side of the break. Uh, and before we come to the break, uh, I just want to tell you to ring in the new year with Bareback Sportsbook's Finger Cuffs Parlay. That's right. Hell yeah. Make two prop bets on two different running backs from the same team in the same game, and you'll get triple the payout. Now, that's what we call underdoggy style. Only at Bareback Sportsbook. Not available in Hawaii. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Drew. We're sponsored this week by Blue Land. I'm all in for self-reflection and rethinking how I can make an impact this year. Blue Land's products are not just about tidying things, but also about a cleaner, greener lifestyle by reducing plastic use. Blue Land's on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. The idea is simple. They offer refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. You can fill your reusable bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. You'll never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies in your grocery run, and refills start at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. They're trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine, because I use the laundry detergent and their dishwasher detergent. Very, very easy. Just drop a tablet in, and you're good to go. And it's a very, very pretty little can that they come into. And Blue Land has a special offer for listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash distraction. You won't want to miss this. It's blueland.com slash distraction for 15% off. One more time, that's blueland.com slash distraction to get 15% off. And we're back. Happy New Year. Uh, we talked about uh, one side of the college football playoff bracket. We didn't talk about Washington, Texas, which, uh, you know, I I figured because I figured one game would be good and one game would be uh, a laugher. That did not, that was not the case on uh, New Year's Day because Washington, Texas was also a barn burner, particularly Michael Penix Jr., who has heard all of your jokes uh, and I think it's, was. I think it's pronounced Penix. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he that's was. You say it, Penix. It's actually it is um, it is the woke way of uh, of <laughs> addressing someone with a penis. Uh, and it, <laughs> anyway, he was he was so so fucking good uh, against Texas. He was he was doing full field reads. 
He was making Sunday throws. I mean, he has some insane receivers, especially Roma Adunze. Um, but I mean, you just, when you watched him in that game, especially because he was going against Quinn Ewers, who like, who was an enormous recruit, a guy who got paid a million dollars to go to Ohio State uh, after decommitting from Texas, then went back to Texas. Uh, but he looked so much better than Ewers, uh, you know, all the way throughout. Uh, I, It's been hard for me not to root for Penix all the way through this season because he's just been so, he's been fun. That, that team, they throw 40-yard bombs pretty much every other play. It's fantastic. Yeah, I should say, I barely watched them. I know the game against Oregon was, and also I think the Apple Cup were both like super entertaining. Like, Two games against of, Oregon. Two awesome yeah. games against Oregon, man. And so those were both like sort of talked about as like, you know, you got to watch these guys. And I always respond to that by being like, well, I don't have to do anything. Like, I work for myself. <laughs> like, it's like, if I decide that I want to watch, like, Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging Rock instead of, like, Oregon, Washington, I'm going to do it. And that's, I feel, like, not that I, not to take anything away from Picnic at Hanging Rock, it's fascinating. Uh, but, like, I made a lot of weird decisions not to watch Washington this year that I now, having watched them in that game, feel kind of badly about. Like, Penix yeah. is, like, that's the coolest show in college football to me. Because, like, he looks like an NFL quarterback and as good as the other teams are, he is like, and I, you know, I guess I've watched Caleb Williams a little bit and stuff. He's like a noticeable tick more a quarterback than any of the guys that are going to be playing, you know, in the like sort of games opposite him. And I feel bad about missing that. Yeah. I I thought it was interesting because he looked so much more polished than Caleb's has. uh, Caleb has at least this season. Um, But I, I still know Caleb will go number one overall, but the broadcast team, uh, during the Sugar Bowl was like, well, you know, you know, uh, Penix was, you know, you know, regarded as a, a sort of late first round talent. They they think that will change after his performance uh, against Texas uh, in in ways that uh, I think C.J. Stroud moved up after his performance against Georgia in the in the playoff semifinal a year ago. Um, and I kind of hope that isn't the case. Cause, oh, cause, really? Do you have a team in mind that you uh, think would be a good landing spot for him? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want him to go to the Titans. I don't think, I think I'm pretty. Yeah, we I've all been, do. We've, I've been pretty upfront about my Titans. We just need that coat of Mike Vrabel polish. Uh, will you be rooting for the Huskies uh, to beat Michigan and, and win one last title for the, the Pac-12 before it falls to shit? I mean, no, because I have family connections with Michigan, but I am. I think it's going to be a fun game just in the sense that uh, I think it's going to be a real stout test for the Michigan defense, and I I like that. Like, I like a dynamic that I can understand. Like, yes. this is like this super high-quality quarterback with these incredible, as you said, like, the receivers also look like NFL receivers. Like, it is they just are. a really— Adense yeah. is a top-five pick. Like, he is yes. really fucking good. Yep. And he had some great plays in that game, just being like super strong and like taking the ball away from defensive backs, like things that you notice NFL players doing it. And then it's like, this is the thing for watching college games to me. It's not like I'm such a snob that I can only, you know, get um, I need my games to come from the NFL region of France or else it's not, you know, it's just sparkling football to me. Right. But there is this element of like watching guys make plays where I'm like, all right, that's like more of a Sunday thing than a Saturday thing. Like it's fun to see that. If I decided to get back into watching college football, I think that would be the part that I would really dig. Well, the other thing is, and uh, you know, it's sort of ironic because before Bryce Young was drafted, you know, I was of the mind and I I wasn't alone where it was like, okay, well he's, you know, he's a very, he's a very good quarterback, but well, he's been throwing 
to, you know, first round talent and wide receiver, mm-hmm. like all over the place. Guys like Jalen Waddle and just insane fucking players. And it's like, well, if you are, if you're going to be a good NFL quarterback, you have to learn how to, how do you make use of those guys? So if you have Tyreek Hill on your team or something like that, you have to be the guy who knows, you know, how do you throw to him in double coverage? Cause you know that he's going to get it anyway. Right. Or, yeah. you know, I, I, I didn't want to use Justin Jefferson as an example, but like Justin's sort of a perfect example that where he beats double coverage all the fucking time, but you need a quarterback who is going to identify not only to throw it, but also the right spot to throw it within the double team. Yeah. And so when you can see a college player do that at the college level with guys like Roma Dunze and all that, that that's very fun. I really do enjoy yeah. it. And Penix was doing that. It was like a really cool throws to make, especially just in the, you know, like if you're watching football, like oaf mode, as I do, where it's like just taking advantage of the fact that your receivers are faster than the defensive backs they're playing against, like to have the tools to put the ball 40 yards downfield where you want to put it. It's like not every like he's the only guy in the playoff that could do that. Like the other like yours, I know, was like a big recruit. He looks like Colt McCoy. He's got like a little pop gun arm and he runs around yeah. and stuff like it's like those are really, really difficult throws that like I get. I know that like college teams attempt them. These did not look like attempts. Like this was, there was real intent there. They knew what they were doing. Well, the other thing was that Washington was playing that game with their best running back, Dylan Johnson. He was he was hobbled for the majority of that game. He was mm-hmm. hurt on. They had a fourth down attempt that failed early in the game, where they they did a direct snap to Dylan Johnson, even though he had gotten banged up on the very on the the play right before that, and he didn't convert. And it was like, well, that was stupid of them to to do that. And they didn't really run the ball in the second half the way they should have when they had a big lead that they could have sat on a little bit more than they did. So they were still throwing the ball with Penix. And then Johnson gets hurt for real. When yeah, like, like 40, left on a cart. When yeah. there's 45 seconds left on the clock at a time when uh, Texas had no timeouts left. Or we, I mean, it might have been one timeout left. And they didn't have to use a timeout. The clock stopped. They never would have gotten in position to have a shot at the end zone at the end of the game, the way that they did, if Johnson hadn't gotten hurt. So there was a lot of strange management of the running backs by Kalen DeBoer in that, in that game, but it didn't matter ultimately because Penix was, was making plays and we, uh, we need to get past the Penix love hour. And we have to talk about the NFL now. Is that okay? Yeah, whatever. It's fine. Uh, uh, I feel like I still have more things to say about how cool he is, but he's yeah, got another game yeah. left in his college career. So yeah, we'll we'll get to it then. We get we we talk too much about Penix. It'll be too much like uh, Collinsworth uh, giving Jordan Love a blowjob all night Sunday night. So I don't want to. Can do I just it. say that I got through this whole segment saying the name Penix, and I didn't once do it in a Borat voice. And I feel like nobody gives me any credit for being what? mature. What if I am big like can of Pepsi? Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, nice. So, but uh, before the the college football playoff on uh, on Saturday night, uh, the Lions, the Detroit Lions, um, had a miraculous late touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Dallas doesn't lose at home, and uh, and Dan Campbell, lovable scamp that he is, he's like, "We're going for two. Fuck it, we're going for two. And they run a tackle eligible play to Taylor Decker. Uh, Decker catches the touchdown pass. He's wide open. And everyone's like, holy shit, because not only did they go for it, but they ran a fucking cool trick play. And, and you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, Dan Campbell, he's, he's the greatest. And and Detroit won the game, and it was cool. And then there was a flag, and everyone was like, oh. And referee Brad Allen was like, well, he didn't report to me 
Taylor Decker didn't report to me as eligible. And then there was a whole fracas after that where Dan Campbell was like, is he, after the game, he's like, listen, I told, I told the refs before the game, we have this play. We're going to run this play. Here's who's going to report as eligible, blah, 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 blah. Like, please don't fuck it up. And then they, they fucked it up. And so I wanted to ask you, Roth, is this a thing where the, the Lions really got fucked the way that the Lions usually get fucked? Or, or was Dan Campbell a little too, uh, a little too confident that NFL referees could keep his master plan uh, straight uh, at that point in the game when he had told yeah, them three that's hours the- earlier? That's the last bit there, because it seems... So I didn't see the game. Uh, we did not have uh, the wherewithal to watch games while we were in Maine. Uh, plenty of people can watch NFL games in Maine. My father-in-law just doesn't have it in his house. Uh, they have indoor plumbing and everything. It's like a real estate. The, okay. But okay. The, um, that particular play, to me, that was my first instinct, was the last thing that you said. It's just basically like, you're kind of counting on a lot to have the referees like be right there with you if this is something that you're saving for the most high intensity and high stakes moment in a game counting on them not to fuck up because and not just to not fuck up but to like be there step by step in this like admittedly like esoteric tricksy thing that you're trying to do to me feels like uh i guess gilding the lily like it is just like you're doing too much and so when it doesn't work out it's like you have to take some responsibility for trying to do something that's like much harder than what maybe was reasonable there is that well, unfair I, no him? i don't i don't think it's unfair if i was a if i was a lions fan i would still be extremely pissed now if i was of Campbell, course oh yeah pissed, they sh- lions fans should be mad about that it sounds but like there they was really also, got boned on it well also yeah because it, it might cost them uh you know, it costs them playoff seeding and, and stuff like that. It, it locks them into the third seed. And so the other thing is that everyone was breaking down the video because there was a potential attempt by the Lions to trick the Cowboys into thinking that a different lineman was reporting eligible. So there were two linemen right. around referee Brad Allen, who already has a reputation for being shitty. So much so that, like, if I know the name of the referee, it's not for a good reason. Right? Yeah, and, right. It's so either because the guy's really buff or he has a crazy voice, or he makes mistakes all the time. Right, and the buff one retired. So it's like, you, <laughs> so you're you're basically trying to you're trying to trick uh, Mike McCarthy, which is not hard. And you're you could but use you're a also, laser pointer for that. Just but you also risk tricking the the stupidest ref in football, and um, which is, appears to have been what happened. And and so I I feel bad for the Lions on that, but I do hope that. Uh, and then the other thing was that after that penalty was assessed, they went for two again from the seven and they got a defensive holding penalty. And then, so that, that moved it to the three and a half. And then they had another, they, they went for it again. Campbell was like, fuck it. We'll go for it again. And Goff missed a, basically a wide open, uh, I think it was Sam Laporta. And, or, you know what? That could be wrong. Uh, Jared Goff missed a wide open flare pass that, that would have converted it. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you, did, was Dan right to keep on going for it and just keep doubling down over and over and over again? I feel like right or wrong, he's Dan Campbell. Like he's not going to back down or do less. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like this sort of thing where, would I have done it? I don't know. Maybe like the third time I would have been like, let's just fucking kick this like dumb extra point and go play overtime. But 
This is why he's Dan. Well, that's one of the reasons why he's Dan Campbell and I'm not. And like, that's what they hired him for is to do that. Like, the thing that's funny with him is that when he came in, I think I thought of him as like, if Rob Liefeld drew Jim Tom Sula, I thought he was a joke. I thought he was like a big, muscly guy who like just had like his blood types Red Bull. Yeah, but he's like a type, like an NFL. He's a special teams coach, which is what he was, right? And in this case, he's he's not like he's a goofball but like his tendencies are more complicated than i thought like he's not a a jumped up positions coach like this is just the type of nfl head coach that he is and like i guess that this is you know the team is good like they're bought in yeah like obviously they they made some good decisions like in terms of who they drafted and I, I you have to say that the golf thing is more or less worked out for them at this point yeah even though he's still kind of i mean of also they got they got they got they got two first round picks for golf. Like yeah. that's pretty good. And that's like, like and they, they built a defense with, you know, first round picks. Like they've done the right things. I just feel like at this point, like it Campbell needs to you have to sort of accept him on his own terms as being like who he is. Like he got them this far by being who he is. And he might lose them a game or two by being who he is, by going for it uh, you know, for two points three straight times. But like that's that's part of the deal, right? Like, am I is that too much credit to give him? Because he hasn't won shit yet. I just feel no, like at I, this point the team is like legit good, and, yeah, and like, I, I that's, feel like you have to give him credit for that. Yeah, that's a big accomplishment in Detroit because a lot of time, a lot of years when they've gone, you know, ten and six or something like that, it's all it's had. It hasn't had a a, a lasting feel to it. It hasn't right. felt like oh okay they're on their way now. This is different. This feels like, uh, you know it feels like they are going to win 10 games many years with Campbell and with, with this core that they have. Um, but the other thing is that when he goes for two, uh, you know, three times in a row and fails, you know, you can say, Oh, that was, that was dumb. He should have kicked it. But I don't think any of his players are going to say after the game, well, it was so stupid of him. Why'd he do that? Like all right. of them are going to be like, he, he wanted to fucking win the game. We wanted to win the game because he wanted us to win the game. It didn't work out, but like we're gonna fucking run through a brick wall for that motherfucker, and like I that has its own value, particularly as we get to the playoffs. So I, I, yeah, I, I too, as much as I don't like it when people are nice to other teams in the division, but it, <laughs> I have to, I have to hand it to good old Dan King. Yeah, do you want you want to talk about the Bears or something just to clean your palate? They're, they're improving too. My my team. I know might, they're kind of good now. <laughs> I want to talk about. Uh, Handing it to maybe Sean McDermott too, because he's won four in a row ever since yep. Ty Dunn revealed that uh, McDermott wanted to motivate <laughs> his team by telling him to be more like the nine eleven attackers. But yep. I, I'm not ready to do that just yet because they have they have a very important game against the Dolphins uh, coming up in the last week, and they still might not even make the playoffs. Like they could win the division. Or they could like be out of the playoffs entirely. So yeah, they have ten wins, that. but it's like the way that the AFC is shaking out. I don't think they're locked into anything. Yeah, but I do want to talk about Russell Wilson because uh, Russell Wilson was benched by Sean Payton before Sunday's win over the Chargers, and Payton said uh, that he thought Jarrett Stidham would give the Broncos the best chance to win. Which LOL. And yep. Wilson, meanwhile, said, "Look, the team threatened to bench him if he didn't change the injury guarantee language in his contract because if he got injured." In those last two games, then the Broncos would be on hook for X million more dollars. It was they, like it would be even thirty-seven to, million dollars. It was a yeah, lot. It would be even harder for him to get out of his contract. So he had a letter for him to prove it. And the NFLPA is like, well, wait a second, this is not legal. You can't do this. So now, 
uh, some questions for you about this. First of all, is putting your threat to your quarterback in writing the stupidest non-DUI move that the Broncos front office has ever made? It's Broncos culture right there. The idea of like, because it's this perfect combination of being extremely cynical and then also being executed by someone who is like going to blow like a 0.12 at any time during the day. Yep. Like this is just like the worst short-term decision-making handled in the worst way. I mean, it's because it's not a crazy decision to bench him. Like the, no. You never want to say that, like, the Raiders are your model for it. They did that with Derek Carr because they didn't want to be on the hook for his shit. And, like, whatever. It didn't work out, work out. But that's not, like, they did manage to get out from under that contract. Yeah, it was the In right move case, because the Saints sign card, he sucks. Yeah, but making it explicit enough that there's, like, a real labor grievance that could be, like, not not, like, worked out in the press. Like, grieved in the courts. Like, this, yeah. is, a, this is a fuck up. And the idea of doing it in such a way that you, like, just send your coach out there to be like, I think Jarrett Stidham's good, by the way. <laughs> like, that's your attempt at damage control is, or at, like, messaging is, that's classic Bronco stuff. Just not a very high-functioning or, uh, I would say, like, high-quality front office culture. Uh, they deserve everything they're going to get for it. It deserves Latter-day, it has some Latter-day Peyton energy to it, too, because... I know that he turned them around from early in the season when they were in the shitter. They they improved, and that was that was it. That was coaching. Like he he still has chops in terms of coaching, um, but he's also a cock, and you can yep. tell that. You know, I'm I'm sure that you know if he didn't write that letter to Wilson and his representation, he certainly blessed it. And it it was interesting after it happened. You know, Wilson who is, he's a lot of things, but he's certainly not naive when it comes to being media savvy. He Exactly that. I think that's, you made this point when we were talking about it in the work slack too, that like, this is actually his strong suit at this point. Like this yeah. is, you message it like a political campaign. He lives his life like a candidate. He's just not running for any office. But every time he's out there, it's like, he's always on some weird message that like, no one really understands where he's coming from with it. But this is it. Like they absolutely stepped in it with this because this is the one guy who's going to like be consistent and be clear about messaging this stuff in a way that makes it easy for the public to understand. And I, I thought it was interesting because the Denver press um, was instantly rallied to Wilson's defense, which I think is interesting because Wilson has underperformed. He cost a bazillion dollars. He cost them tons of draft picks. He has set them back in terms of their rebuild. God knows how many years, but all of them took his side you know, I, I mean, and the Denver press, like notoriously, we have we have said this before, but Denver has some of the the worst take havers still remaining, like in local sports media. Yeah. Uh, and but they were all like, listen, like, like at least like Russell's being straight with us, Sean Payton. Like, if you knew how much we knew about Sean Payton, you'd fucking hate his guts too. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's it's interesting to me that that Payton handled it as poorly as he did, but also the Broncos had it gave him enough juice to do this only, you know, you know, only a, a year and change after, you know, selling the farm to get him. It's bizarre to me that like, well, it also feels like sort of, as you said, it's like what you get with Sean Payton, right? That like, yeah. in terms of, because you get the good shit too. It's just that with 
these, especially with this type of coach, this like super aggro alpha type. And this is again where like you can sort of give credit to Dan Campbell for like not being this type of guy. Peyton is a fight picker. He always has been. He's always trying to find some sort of like leverage or dominance over whoever it is that he thinks is like ahead of him in like some organizational hierarchy. Wilson has been a polarizing figure for that because like before Peyton was there, he he was putting himself above the rest of the organization in a weird way. The way he had, like, his office was on a different floor. The fact that he had an office. Like, there's a lot right. of really, like, yeah, weird yeah. stuff about him. But this is, like, I mean, I guess what happens when a coach sort of, like, runs out of the old version of magic is, like, at some point, you're just left with the aggro shit. You're left with the provocations. And, like, he's good. He's a good enough coach to get this team to, like, eight wins when they're probably more of, like, a five-win team or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, like, he created a bigger problem just by being himself and by not being able to turn that part of himself off. Well, also, it's, you know, they, you know, by by turning around their season, they put themselves in a worse draft position. Right now, I am yes. not, again, I'm not a tanking kind of guy, but in this particular year, like, all the guys who, like, it's been consensus all the way throughout the season that it would be Williams and May, one and two in the draft. And then guys like Penix, guys like J.J. McCarthy, guys like even Jaden Daniels would be further down in the first round. I think that that is going to change. Like, I think Jaden Daniels, particularly after he wins the, won the Heisman, he, I I don't think he's going to fall to 10. Not with every team that is so hard up for a quarterback right now. You know, we're talking about like five quarterbacks probably going in like the first 15 to 20 picks. Like it's going to, there's going to be, there's going to be a bit of contraction up at the top there. And it's, it's going to be tough. Let's uh, talk really quickly uh, about the New York Jets. We're going to run it all back with this exact same group of players and coaches, Nathaniel Hackett included next season with the idea that Aaron Rodgers would be good to go. Roth, what are the odds that they will have the exact same season that they just had? And why is it 100%? fairly high drew i think the odds the so i think if you if you think of rogers as being a quarterback at this point uh you're you're sort of making a category error like i think that there's a chance that he plays and plays well i thought that was the case this year but i would have probably put it at like more or less a coin flip at him being good this season. He just spent a year off doing nothing but like watching YouTube videos and getting crazier. And he hasn't played football at all. Right. And then he's just going to come back next year and he's going to be like somehow exactly our age. Like he will have moved. (laughs) He's going to be a 41 year old guy who hasn't played in more than a year. And the thing that he, I mean, this is the other thing that's like been weird about the way that the jets sort of bent over backwards the good players on their team, they drafted everybody else that they added for the ease of Aaron Rodgers' transition. Has this been like, like Alan Lazard's been like a healthy scratch. Like all these, like the Packers guys that they brought in as like emotional support teammates for Aaron Rodgers have not been good. He can board a plane with them. <laughs> right. It's going to be like, don't pet me. I'm working. Like I'm right. following Aaron Rodgers around while he talks about how uh, the miasma theory of how people get sick is actually correct. And in this case, like, I don't know, like I, I get the idea of it, but I don't think that there's anything that I've seen. Like if you want to keep Robert Sala, sure. Like I, that, I don't know that anybody's necessarily better or worse than him. I can't tell if he's a good coach or not because they've been in between and their quarterbacks have been bad the whole time. I'm only to there. venture an opinion, but yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so are you like out on him at this point? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, like he can he can coordinate a pretty decent defense, but you know, some guys are really good coordinators, and they just they don't have the head the head coaching genius. Some guys are really good at the podium too, and it turns out that they're not as good as they are articulate. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Brandon Staley was just the prime example of that. Someone who like he would give a press conference and you're like, wow, this guy gets it. This guy knows what the fuck he's doing. And he didn't. He was a shit coach. <laughs> yeah. And his players fucking quit on him and all this shit. So I, I feel like that is coming for Salah sooner rather than later. Yeah, he looks the part. And I feel like you can definitely, it's hard to grade him because of the fact that it's like, well, how good would any, would Bill Walsh have done better with Zach Wilson? I don't fucking know. Like, I don't Probably think not. that there's any way to say, right. But Again, if they're continuing to bank this on Rodgers plus Nathaniel Hackett plus like they signed Jordy Nelson and fucking Amon Green so that <laughs> like Aaron Rodgers feels better next year. It's like, no, man, I wouldn't do that shit. Like I so do you think it's gonna be a disaster or do you think it's gonna be like this year where it's just kind of like a lost season? Yeah, yeah, just that sort of like like it's not even a fun sort of collapse. It's just sort of blah and it's Yeah, like, it's just a waste. Especially their defense was great this year. Their good guys really are good. Yeah, man. It's just like the rest of the team isn't finished. Well, also, like, how how long are the other players going to tolerate this shit? Like, when they open up a practice window for Rodgers and it costs a guy a roster spot, and then Rodgers goes on best damn Pat McAfee show, and he's like, I, yep. I it wasn't my idea. Like, I never intended to play. So it's like, he's full of shit. And, like, I got to think, like, every other player, like, I know that he is widely admired by other NFL players. Like, it's a game-recognized game thing, the way Vic was really, really lionized by other NFL players. But it's still, like, it's a lot to absorb. That Like, you're saddled with shitty teammates, a shitty offensive coordinator, all for a guy who hasn't played more than a fucking series for you. And, and like, he's fucking annoying about it. Like, I'm yeah. sure that he's working. Like, I'm sure he's, like, in the whatever, like, doing all the conditioning stuff he needs to do. But he's a distraction. It goes on the, I mean, like, and not in the not in the fun, charming, America's most popular and beloved sports podcast. That is right. Either. I mean, he goes on, like, every fucking five days, he tells, a sh- like, a basically shirtless man something untrue about Anthony Fauci. Like, that's not helping your organization. Like, what is, where's the value add there? Yeah, and also, like, like, griping about Fauci, like, it's, it's 2024. Like, yeah, we're, we're past that. Like, you don't. Even Joe Rogan's on different shit now. Like, yeah. update your software. Like, find, find new wingnut shit, like, to, to hang your hat on. Like, this is, you know, you gotta do I mean, like, I want to encourage him to do that, and I sort of don't. Like, this is, like, it's. It's antique and it's very stupid and stuff, but like everybody that moves on from this stuff just goes fash. And I don't like the idea of like Aaron Rodgers is like an overtly anti woke uh, guy is like oh, that's, actually that's, worse than him being annoying this way. Oh, that's 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 comic. Be like you know. Yeah, I know. And another thing, Pat, about Rosie O'Donnell. You know, like <laughs> yeah, that's all. Very nasty and unfair to me. Yeah. Uh, let's open up the fun bag. Time to open the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. We only have time for one. This is from Micah, who writes, Many years ago on Deadspin, Will Leach linked to some comedy bit about how Pac-Man was created with a guy saying one night he just started going abba, 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 abba to his girlfriend <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I always thought it was funny. And every now and then I'll try to find it on the old interwebs, but to no avail. It's a frequent internet traveler. What's your methodology 
when you want to find something obscure, and at what point do you give up? Surely when something is on the web, it's there forever, right? Do you have any internet white whales you haven't been able to track down? I, I, I like this question because it gets into bigger issues. Yeah, this is a good question. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, I mean, one of the real, like, the give the bummer answer of this, there's a lot of stuff that I read and liked that isn't on the internet anymore because the websites don't exist. Yes. And so I have spent a lot of time searching, like, either specific phrases or just, like, a combination of, like, an author and a subject and, you know, maybe I remember the site, maybe I don't. Usually it all kind of is a blur. Like, go back 10 years, like, every website kind of looked the same. And there's just a lot of shit that isn't there to find, and that's really frustrating. Like, if I'm trying to remember a Simpsons thing, and I remember a garbled version of it, and I just do a Google search for that, like, I'm still going to get it. Like, because there's going to be, it'll have enough words right, and, you know, the good people at Frinkiac do wonderful work. But the in this case, like, there is a lot of stuff that's just gone, or that isn't there, right. and I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, it's, even before Google stopped being good, I was like, this was consistently a wall that I was banging my head against. Yeah, um, Vince Mancini wrote something good about it uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and it was about how uh, the internet is forever is, is no longer true, um, right? Because yep. because of consolidation, um, and also you know, and and Vincent mentioned this, but you know, there was a time when you could really put anything on YouTube and it would stick, but you know, media companies were like, well. Uh, that's our movie. Um, yeah, stop not, doing like, that. <laughs> right. Yeah, you should not do that. So, so uh, you know, more IP control over the internet happened. And then also, you know, like there are people like me where, um, you know, I, I started my career online uh, with a blog called Kissy, Kissing Susie Colbert. Well, I got bought by Uproxx uh, and folded into what's now Uproxx Sports. But most of of the shit that I wrote for KSK, I think is gone. Like, I don't think you can find it. If you can find it on the internet, uh, you you better know like an exact sentence to put in quotes for your yeah. Google search that you're looking for. I mean, my version of that experience is, my career started with basically with the, doing the classical, which was a website I started with other people, you know, 12 years ago. And that site is legit, just doesn't exist anymore. It was built right. on a, like a software or whatever software. It was the content management system tipped over. It was full of spam comments. We couldn't keep it up anymore. It's not there. You can find it in the Wayback Machine, but like it's hard. Like those stories just don't exist. And I feel terrible about it to a certain extent. Well, I feel terrible about it. Not to any certain extent. Like I feel bad. There's probably stuff that I wrote that I, you know, don't feel great about now or whatever, but like. We did a lot of really awesome work. A lot of people worked really hard on shit, and it's just fucking gone. Like, that sucks. I mean, I'm lucky that I can, I'm writing now at a website that isn't going away and stuff like that. But, yeah. I mean, who's to say that's not going to be the case with uh, with Deadspin either? You know? like, And that's where you did oh, yeah. the bulk of your work of your career. Yeah, I don't I don't expect my Deadspin stuff to stay online a whole lot. I also, I, oddly, there's some stuff I've written for GQ. Even though GQ is still owned by Condé Nast and stuff like that. I've had some stuff from GQ that I've written just not be there anymore. And I don't think it mm. was like, like I did an interview with Bob Mould. This is like a long time ago. And that wasn't, I had to, I had to use the, the Wayback Machine to find, to find that. And I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Bob was like, I don't like Jews. Like it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like some stuff like that would be. The lost interview. It's just like yeah. some fucking shitty spans in the HTML or whatever and made it invisible on their website. Yeah. Something like that. Like just, just a, a coding fart or something like that. But it, you know, it's just, it's, I think that what's happened is, you know, the, the promise of the internet 
um, has sort of crashed headlong into the reality of the internet. And, you know, there's the, there's the corporate reckoning with that of trying to organize this thing that is very, very hard to organize. And then there is the consumer part of it where it's, you know, you want access to everything. And of course, if we were going back to 2000, you want everything to be free, which is no right. longer the case. Um, and so, you know, it's everyone's sort of, you know, adjusting to what the internet has become and sort of re- having to recalibrate their expectations for what the internet ought to be. And that's still going to be a learning process, particularly in 2024, when God knows what the fuck is going to happen because there's a, another goddamn election coming. And Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I agree with that. I, the, the thing with this, I go back and forth on it, and I know that this is like where we should be ending the podcast, and I'm yep. not going to get like too serious for too long, but briefly. Too late. <laughs> within it, yes, it's already happening. The idea of the classical or what I wanted it to be was like a place where, you know, people could write weird stuff they couldn't sell, uh, you know, because we couldn't pay either, you know, but everybody would work hard on it. You wind up with a good clip, and then you find it, and an editor reads it, thinks you're good, and they pay you for something, and that's how it's supposed to work. That economy just does not really seem to exist anymore, and I don't know where people are going to put their weird thoughts. Like, it's not even Twitter anymore, you know? Like, there's just... it, And especially for stuff that's, like, a, you know, more of a blog length or, like, an essay or whatever. And I, I know that that impulse has not gone away in people. That's, like, one of the most human things that there is. And I also know that there's, like, demand for it. I don't know that you can make money on it. Like, certainly you can't make money on it the way that, like, internet companies or publishers want to make money but i think that there's like a real audience for it i want to believe that it's going to get itself sorted out it's just like it's hard to especially for people like us i think that grew up strictly during these two decades of crazy growth in the internet like going from like nothing or something that like in order to get there you had to hear the like sound you know before you were online like an aol cd-roms and shit yeah that like the idea of there being less of it still, like, not just doesn't sit right with me as, like, a consumer and a creator of content, but it also just doesn't feel like the internet. Like, I can't believe that that's really actually what's going to happen. I just don't know where the more is going to pop up yet. So hopefully uh, someplace good and not just, like, a million shittier discords than the ones that exist now. Most of my Most of my white whales are things that I don't think ever, were ever put on the internet, like like the data clown cried and stuff like that. But there are things that like I, I I have I have to hope that they stay on the internet. So like Defector and like and like the the stern clip of Baker Street Baba Booey that's on YouTube. Like I just need that stuff <laughs> to remain. And that's I'm just I'm less about finding white whales and holding on to what I have. That's why we gotta do Defector classic films and release an upscaled Day the Clown Cried in theaters nationwide. That's I want right, people to see Jerry Lewis's vision. Uh, Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our <laughs> editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. We add some production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com. Defector. And hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com. Or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera-0. Roth, Happy New Year. We will see you next Happy week. Happy New Year to you, big dog. Feel better, man. Yay. Happy 2024. Bye, Bye everybody.